Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Week 5's edition of Pilato on Football, brought to you on the Big Blue View Radio Network, the Giants SB Nation platform. I am the host, Nicholas Filato, and we had a strange slate of games here in Week 5. But first off, there was a lot of schedule changes, eight schedule changes, and I'm not going to sit here and go through every single one of them. You can go to Adam Schefter's Twitter and check it out. He tweeted it mid-Sunday, all the changes, but it's all going to be contingent on the game at Tuesday, 7 o'clock, Bills-Titans, on that game actually occurring, and by the time you guys are listening to this right now, it may not if another positive test arises down there in Tennessee, so I'm not going to go through all the changes, but there have been plenty of changes that end up affecting week 8, week 11, week 6. There's a bunch of bye weeks just jumbled around, and there's just a lot of changes, a very fluid situation with COVID-19, so please just be paying attention to that. So, we got to see some really interesting things here in week five. Some games were competitive. Some were pretty gross. We got to see Joe Flacco throw a touchdown to Jamison Crowder. And the Kansas City Chiefs suffered their first loss of the season after Raiders defensive coordinator Paul Gunther put up just second-half clamps on the high-powered offense led by Pat Mahomes. And there were really some cool storylines as well. Like the football team having to put Alex Smith into the game after Kyle Allen suffered what appeared to be a head injury. But once Allen was ready to come back into the game, Smith stayed on the field when the score was 20-7. to So I guess Ron Rivera felt that Alex Smith had a decent shot of maybe leading the team back due to his wisdom, even though there's probably a lot of rust on Alex Smith due to the fact that he had to overcome a lot to get back there. Talk about grit and resilience. Alex Smith has all that. But despite all of those facts, he was sacked, I want to say, four times in this game. Allen was sacked three times. I mean, blocking Aaron Donald just does not seem like a fun task whatsoever. But seeing Alex Smith on the field was pretty cool. And there was also some devastating events that occurred. None worse than what happened to Dak Prescott against the Giants with about 6.46 left in the third quarter. On a design quarterback draw, Prescott hit the B-gap, made a man miss in space, and then he was tackled to the ground. The defensive back that tackled him, his weight came down hard on the back of Dak's ankle, and Dak's ankle was basically sort of dislocated from his leg. And you could see it on the television at first. I just thought his shoe was coming off or something like that. I was like, oh, that looks a little awkward. And then I looked close, and I was like, oh, no. And I saw him in pain, and I was like, that's absolutely devastating. So our hearts go out to... Dak Prescott, hopefully he does have a speedy recovery. I mean, it was just a very tragic injury for Prescott and Dallas, and you hate to see that kind of stuff. As for the Giants and Cowboys game, it was, once again, a very frustrating loss for New York, who was very competitive, and they did something that I felt wasn't feasible, at least. That's what it seemed like over the last few years. They jumped out to an early lead, scoring on their first possession with an end around to Evan Ingram for six points. 
And then they forced Dak Prescott into throwing a bad interception that led to Kyler Fackrell looking like John Elway and diving headfirst for the pylon to go up 14-3. And these are things that we're not exactly used to, but the Giants had familiar struggles that plagued them in this game. Long drives ending in field goals, poor red zone efficiency for the most part, undisciplined penalties that led to huge swings of momentum. New York had two touchdowns called back on penalties. One, an illegal shift because Cameron Fleming wasn't set on a disguised field goal pass for a touchdown. And the other was a rub route by Damian Ratley that removed a Darius Slayton touchdown. Just really, really frustrating kind of stuff. I don't like seeing this disciplined team shoot themselves in the foot by committing eight penalties that cost them 81 yards. Cam Fleming, you know the offense is going to try to get that playoff in a hasty manner. You know that's coming. Get down in your set. It looked like he was taking his time. Just get down in your set. And Blake Martinez, he agrees with all this rhetoric about, oh, we're so close. We just need to change blah, blah, blah. That kind of attitude. It's just enough. And he said after the game, quote, it's at this point in time that there's enough of this. Oh, we were so close. We're doing better. We're getting there. It's time to win. It's a result business. We need to go out there and win. We need to get the job done. It's time for that now. End quote. I just couldn't agree more. And this team just seems incapable of winning. Every game, it seems like this team is going to lose. It doesn't matter the situation that the team puts themselves in. These are the types of mistakes that you just cannot have. That good football teams do not suffer. But the Giants aren't a good football team. Every week, we're talking about little errors here or little errors there that end up inevitably leading this team to one final outcome, a loss. Every week, it happened again here. I mean, yeah, Ryan Lewis could have been called for a pass interference against Gallup on that final pass play, but it didn't even matter because Dalton threw a good ball and Gallup still caught it. I'm talking about penalties for a reason. I wanted to preface what I just said, that the Giants aren't a good football team. I'm not making excuses, but now since I prefaced that, I can complain about the no call on B.J. Hill. B.J. Hill was held for about two seconds on that Cooper to the sideline catch on that last drive to help set up the field goal. The ref looked right at it, and it looked like he was going to throw his flag, and he just didn't. I mean, that's an egregious miss by the officials, especially after they were so cavalier with their whistles the entire game. I won't sit here and blame the loss on officiating. The loss is on the Giants, of course. But if you're going to call several ticky-tack penalties on a team and then swallow your whistles like frickin' Pac-Man with some animated fruit, I'm going to call you out on that crap. There are a lot of ticky-tacky calls that the Giants were being called for in this game, and you don't, and you miss that? You miss that one? Come on, man. NFL's got to be better than that. Still, though, Giants didn't deserve the win. There are issues with this Giants squad. Andrew Thomas does not look good. Not at all. His second half was a bit better than the first, but he is still getting beat really bad inside, on inside counters, or just on oversets. It's like he can't overcome oversetting, and he'll always get beat inside. And his technique is just really, really bad. There's a lot of technical issues right here. 
His hands and his feet do not move consistently with each other. They are not in unison. His punch is just not there. His footwork is sloppy. His feet are slow. He doesn't adapt through a pass set. If he gets beat by one move, he doesn't know how to handle the counter. This is not the same play that we saw at Georgia, and I saw a lot of flaws with him at Georgia. I did. But I did not think he was going to be this bad. He's been really bad. And I know it's only been five games. But I'm getting just tired of listing all of these excuses. He needs to be more consistent at this point. He's not Eric Flowers, not saying that he is, but he needs to be more consistent. It's not good. And one of those plays, when he got beat around the edge, it helped lead to the Daniel Jones fumble for six points. Albeit Jones could have stepped up into the pocket a bit. Could have. But he still got beat cleanly around the edge by Demarcus Lawrence. Hey, at least Andrew Thomas caught that two-point conversion. That was a cool little wrinkle, I guess. Especially since he bobbled it and almost dropped it. That would have been that would have really pissed a lot of Giants fans off. And all season, Dallas failed to generate any sort of pass rush. But then they go up against the Giants and they could put pressure on Jones. Like they're the freaking 2007 Giants or something. It's not even like he was sacked all that much, but he was still getting pressured. <laughs> it's crazy, man. I'll tell you one thing that was kind of cool, especially early on in this game. It's how New York was able to run the football down the throats of Dallas because Mike Nolan doesn't seem to have his eyes dotted or his T's crossed with his defense. And on the day, Gallman looked pretty spry. He looked nimble, had five for 24. Freeman rushed the ball 17 times for 60 and a touchdown. And I got to say, man, Garrett's play calling was very, very conservative. Outside of that last drive or two, I think he ran on first and 10 all but two times. He's definitely a coordinator who plays for the sticks, plays for the first down and not the big play, which there's pros to that and there are cons to that. Some of the cons is you're going to shrink the defense to the intermediate and short parts of the field, especially when you don't have a burner that can really stretch them vertical. And it's also compounded by the fact that you have a weak offensive line, just shortens the, uh, the field a little bit. I mean, don't get me wrong, and I know Giants fans hate when these excuses are made, but it is somewhat difficult to generate offense with these weapons, with the weak offensive line, with the lack of cohesiveness, especially in terms of using pre-snap motion and having that sort of timing all figured out to move slowly with the young offensive line. But however, with that pointed out, trying to give the guy his cred, his due diligence, Garrett could be a bit more aggressive in certain spots for sure. I mean, yeah, the Giants put up 34 points. Looks cool. Awesome. Got the 30 mark. Yeah. But the offense only scored two touchdowns against this Dallas defense. The Giants defense scored the other on the fact roll pick six. And then Graham Gano kicked four field goals. And those four field goals, one was off of a 12-play drive, two were off of nine-play drives, and another was off a 10-play drive. And right there, byproduct. When you consistently call plays to attack the sticks, the byproduct is a lack of explosive plays, long drives. You might win the time of possession, and that's great, but if you keep just resulting in three points, you're not going to win a lot of games. The possibility for you not to finish in the red zone because your team isn't exactly great when the field shortens up is pretty high, and the Giants have proved that in 2020. They're not great in the red zone. They settle for three way too often. I feel the Giants need a bit more balance to their attack, especially in terms of the vertical stretch, the vertical attack. I don't know why they don't. nobody wants to use Evan Ingram up the seam. It has to be something on him. 
Last two coaching staffs haven't. McAdoo did a little bit when he was a rookie. I know he's not a great route runner, but I mean, I would imagine he'd be able to run a seam route. But the personnel of the Giants offense, I mean, it doesn't help this either. It's just not a great situation. But when you keep settling for field goals, you want to put yourself into some bad situations. And even with that, the Giants yet again had a chance to win another football game in 2020. But they were just not disciplined enough, nor did they execute well enough. Again, I mean, we knew C.D. Lamb was going to be a problem of the seam. Dallas has used him well as the number three receiver close to the tight end to really force safeties into conflict. And Lamb was targeted 11 times. He caught eight of them for 124 yards. Kid's an absolute stud. Cooper, for the most part, received the James Bradbury treatment. And Gallup got up for that final drive of the game. Schultz was running routes but was never targeted. And Zeke feasted for 19 carries, 91 yards, and two touchdowns. And I know Schultz had a catch. I'm just saying. It wasn't that much. I mean, it's very unfortunate what happened to Dak. And again, we hope for a speedy recovery. Lorenzo Carter, as well, suffered an Achilles injury. I mean, we're not 100% of the severity of it right now. But it was not good for the Giants to not have Carter or O'Shane Zimenez on the game. I wonder if New York will sign a veteran edge, or maybe we'll see some of Cam Brown or Carter Coughlin soon. Hopefully, Lorenzo Carter will be okay. And as for the Giants team, they had an opportunity to put themselves into great position to win this divisional game, which would also put them into a great position to possibly work their way up the ladder and win this division because this division is terrible. It's embarrassing, but they couldn't get it done. The little things seem to get them again. They just couldn't get it done. And sadly, that seems to be all too familiar for the recent New York Giants. So let's go and visit the other ignominious New York football team. Yes, I'm pulling out the vocab words here. <laughs> wow, though. A combined New York football record, ladies and gentlemen, of 0 and 10. 0 and 10. That's zero wins, zero dubs, zero credibility. And 10 losses, 10 L's, 10 yikes, WTF. I don't know how long Gase has left. Him and Dan Quinn, who is now 0-5 as well. <laughs> Damn. I mean, that's such a crappy image when you think about it. Between the Giants, the Jets, and the team that can never finish anybody off, the Atlanta Falcons, those teams are 0-15. That's 0-15. So gross. But the Jets dropped this game to the Cardinals in a 30-10 battle. Honestly, the Cardinals looked bad early on. It was their second consecutive road trip to the East Coast for a 1 o'clock start, and the rush showed early. Last week, they went to Carolina, and they got beat, and they traveled back to the West Coast just to come back to the East Coast. Some teams stay on the East Coast on those double-week trips. They did not. No, the San Francisco 49ers did that when they had to play two games at MetLife. They spent the week in West Virginia. But the Cardinals said, hey, we're playing the Jets. We can go home and sleep in our beds and really screw up our internal clocks. It's not going to really matter. And I guess they were right, you know? A little rusty in the beginning. I mean, in the beginning, it was just punt city for a long time. Both teams, three and out, three and out, three and out. Teams started scoring a bit in the second half, but the first half was, ugh, you know? Just wasn't really that great. Joe Flacco, 18 for 33 for 195 yards and a touchdown. Was only sacked two times. I mean, he's a statue back there. Le'Veon Bell had 13 carries for 60 yards. 
Jamison Crowder had 10 targets, 8 catches for a 116 in the one touchdown. Got Trayvon Wesco into the game, West Virginia's own Trayvon Wesco. Braxton Berrios. I mean, you look at the Arizona Cardinals. Kenyon Drake fell into the end zone with a gross 18 for 60, 3.3 average, got in the end zone. I'm sure if anybody started him in fantasy, you know, he was like a early two. He ends up uh, paying off a little bit here, but it does not look great, especially when Chase Edmonds looked as good as he did. He had three carries for 36 yards and a touchdown himself. And then Kyler Murray, 380 yards passing, one touchdown, also one touchdown rushing, 31 yards on the ground. And then DeAndre Hopkins had one touchdown, 131 yards and six catches. And that's the New York Jets and the Arizona Cardinals. And then there was the AFC North battle between the Bengals and the Ravens. Ended as expected for rookie quarterback Joe Burrow against a powerhouse Ravens defense that actually finally looked like the powerhouse we expect them to be. The Bengals lose this game 27-3. And yet again, Lamar Jackson fails to crack 190 yards passing. Do you guys remember when Lamar Jackson was good at football? Pepperidge Farm remembers. I'm playing. Kind of. But his team won. And that's all that really matters. Burrow was getting wrecked, though. He was sacked seven times in this game. I mean, after Mixon's breakout game last week, he couldn't do anything on the ground, mustering only 59 yards on 24 carries. And if you ask me how I would have envisioned this game for the Bengals at noon on Sunday, I would have said this. I would have said this was probably what was going to happen. Joe Burrow was going to struggle. Wasn't going to be able to move the football that well. He only ended up throwing for 183 yards, had one interception. He's going to take the lumps as a rookie on the road, divisional matchup against a really good defense. Good for Marquise Brown, who finally scored a touchdown. Six for 77 and one touchdown on 11 targets. So he didn't only get six targets this week. Awesome. And then Mark Andrews continues to be a solid fantasy contributor at tight end, despite not playing that many snaps. He went six for 56 and one touchdown on nine targets. Then we also had Devin DuVernay, also added a really athletic end around for 42 yards. And he seems to be a gadget player in this offense, where we can maybe expect a play like this from him every week. It's the rookie out of Texas. They just keep adding talented players to this team. As for Cincinnati, A.J. Green is old, got hurt in this game. T. Higgins had eight targets, caught four of them for 62 yards. And then we also had Tyler Boyd, six targets, caught four of them for 42 yards. And Drew Sample getting a bunch of twos in his stat sheet, two targets, two receptions for 22 yards. That might be bad luck. But if you look at the average, it's 11 per catch, not two twos there, two ones, which is a two. Anyways, I'm going to stop with that. All right, before we go on with the rest of the games, please enjoy a minute or two from our sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, that means we have some breaking news here on Pilato on Football. As I'm recording this during Sunday Night Football, actually, there's two little bits, I guess. 
Dalvin Cook just left the game to go to the locker room. I hope that he's okay because he's an absolute stud. And the Atlanta Falcons head coach Dan Quinn and general manager Thomas Dimitrov have been relieved of their duties. Now, the Falcons are still finalizing the interim coach as of right now. They do have two former NFL head coaches on their staff in Raheem Morris and Dirk Cutter. So we're not 100% sure as of right now who will be the head coach, but they're cleaning house. And I know we mentioned him earlier in the same breath as Adam Gase, but it looks like Dan Quinn is now out of a job, as is general manager Thomas Dimitrov. That 0-5 start, you cannot overcome especially after you were almost fired last year it seems like the falcons team loves their coach but the organization arthur blank the owner is going to be moving in a different direction so on that note let's dive into that panthers falcons game where the falcons lost at home to the panthers 23 to 16 matt ryan had an awful game 226 yards passing zero touchdowns one interception todd Gurley actually rushed for 121 yards on 14 carries and a touchdown still looks old there that's still a thing but he's just getting it done and calvin ridley there's no julio jones in this game eight for 136 on 10 targets and this was the last game that dan quinn who's a morristown native i'm obviously morristown's close to my heart i live there he uh this will be the last game that he coaches as and Atlanta Falcon. And in this game, time of possession was dominated by the Carolina Panthers. Mike Davis ran all over the team, was very re- involved in the receiving game as well. Robbie Anderson, 8 for 112. DJ Moore also had one catch that ended up going for a long touchdown. It was 57 yards. He had four for 93. Robbie Anderson is the number one receiver there for fantasy purposes. DJ Moore is not. If he did not have that one catch that ended up going for 57 yards, he would have basically done nothing. Once again, he needs to be riding your guys' benches, especially in tough matchups. This was the glorious matchup against the Atlanta Falcons, and Teddy Bridgewater got it done through the air. 3-13, two touchdowns. Mike Davis is just an absolute stud until Christian McCaffrey comes back. But yes, the Carolina Panthers are now out of a coach, out of a general manager, and there's going to be a lot of new things going down in terms of the Atlanta Falcons. So hopefully hopefully everything ends up okay for that franchise and all the coaches and the people that they have on staff down there other than the ones who are already let go. Alrighty, so we have the Rams and the Washington football team. The Rams beat them 30-10. to I already touched on Alex Smith came into this game. It was pretty cool, but there was just no time. Washington could not block for either of these quarterbacks. Time of possession dominated by the Rams, 35 minutes to 24 for the Rams. Rams had 20 first downs. Washington only had 10, and the Rams had a total offense of 429 yards. And the Washington football team had 108 yards total. They couldn't do anything on the ground. They couldn't do anything through the air. And that's even without Dwayne Haskins, who did not even dress. He was the third-string quarterback in this game. Didn't dress. Was actually sick. So he can't even say third string because he didn't dress in this game. He had a stomach bug and did not dress for the contest. Jared Goff was 21 for 30 for 309 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Now, the Los Angeles rushing attack was dominated by Daryl Henderson, who had 15 carries, 38 yards, one touchdown on the ground, and then he had one touchdown through the air as well. Malcolm Brown also had eight carries for 30. Cam Akers had nine for 61. So it's going to be gross for fantasy. You're just going to hope that somebody falls into the end zone. Not the best kind of situation for fantasy football. Robert Woods had four for 71 in a touchdown. Cooper Cup, five for 66. And Tyler Higby only had two for 12. Tyler Higby has not been involved as much as we kind of hoped he would be. 
and that's definitely frustrating for fantasy football because I think his potential is incredibly high, but they didn't necessarily need him in this game. The Washington football team wasn't going to put up a fight, and days may be better for the Los Angeles Rams. I know a lot of things are fluid, so their schedule might not look the same with how everything is consistently changing up, but they are at the 49ers next week on Sunday night football, and then they have the Bears after that, and I want to say that's Monday night because it's an 8-15 start as well. So we're going to be seeing a lot of Rams in prime time, which is exciting because I like watching Sean McVay call plays because he's a damn good play caller and a great coach. But moving on to the Eagles and the Steelers, which was an exciting game. The Steelers won 38-29, to but Philadelphia came out. They scored 14 points in the first half and then 15 in the second half. Miles Sanders was running all over the team early on. He had a 74-yard touchdown run, 11 carries for 80 yards and two touchdowns. But the story of the game was on the Steelers' side of the football, and that was Chase freaking Claypool who had four total touchdowns. He had seven catches for 110 yards and three touchdowns through the air, and then three carries for six yards and a touchdown on the ground. He's going to be a hot waiver wire addition. Seems like Juju Smith-Schuster is just not being looked at in the offense as much. I figured that Eric Ebron would have a good game against the Eagles because they struggle so heavily in guarding the middle of the field with guys like Nathan Gary who's playing a linebacker. He was like a safety at Nebraska a couple years ago, but they just can't cover the middle of the field. But that all went to basically Chase Claypool, who is like a six foot five, four three, running wide receiver out of Notre Dame, who was the 49th pick in the draft back this season. Eric Ebron in this game had five for 43 on six targets. Juju had four catches on five targets for 20 eight yards. And then James Conner was the one who dominated touches, even though Benny Snell's kind of getting annoying there. He had seven carries for 19 yards. Whoa. James Conner had 15 carries for 44 yards. Couldn't get a lot going down on the ground at home against the Eagles, but the Eagles end up losing this game. As for fantasy options in the Philadelphia receiving game, you got to look at Travis Fulham. 10 catches for 152 yards and a touchdown at 13 targets. Really stepped up for the Philadelphia Eagles and proved that he could be a very nice add especially in deeper leagues. I mean, I know Alshon Jeffrey's going to be coming back soon. Deshaun Jackson might be coming back a little bit soon. But this guy has been playing really well. I remember him down at the Senior Bowl a couple of years ago, and I didn't expect him to kind of come into the NFL and start doing things like this. But, hey, kudos to him. Kudos to Carson Wentz, who's dealing with absolutely nothing, and he didn't have a great fantasy day. Threw the ball 35 times, 20 completions, 258 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, was sacked five times. Pittsburgh Steelers are 4-0. Philadelphia Eagles are 1-3-1. and one. Then we have the Jaguars and the Titans, or the Jaguars, or however normal people will end up saying it. Gardner Minshew had a solid game, almost threw the ball 50 times, 49 attempts, 31 completions, 301 yards, two touchdowns. James Robinson, 13 carries for 48 yards. Deshaun Watson threw for 359 yards, three touchdowns, two picks. David Johnson had 96 yards on the ground. There's no Bill O'Brien in this game. Obviously, he's been fired. Romeo Cornell, who is now the oldest person to ever coach a game at 73, who was their defensive coordinator, is now their interim head coach. And it was the Brandon Cook show, 8 for 161 and 1. Will Fuller had 4 for 58 and 1. Darren Fells had 2 for 57 and 1. Rumbling into the end zone, looking old, but it's okay. And as for the Jaguars, LaVisca Chenault had eight targets, seven catches for 79 yards. And then DJ Chark, <laughs> four targets, three for 16. That's all he had. Three catches, 16 yards, left the game with an injury. Very, very frustrating after having a really promising week last week. Seems like he just can't get over these injuries right now. 
and he had the Bradley Roby treatment, which I guess I didn't realize how good Bradley Roby was, but it looked good on the uh, what I saw in red zone. And then he just left the game with an injury, which is very unfortunate. But the Texans were able to beat the Jaguars 30-14 to in this game. It's exciting watching Deshaun Watson. It's exciting watching Gardner Minshew. But, oh man, this offense with the potential of having someone like DeAndre Hopkins instead of David Johnson is makes you makes you just think, wow, this could be so much better for Deshaun Watson. But it's just not because Bill O'Brien traded him away. How disgusting is that? I'll tell you. It's pretty freaking disgusting. All right, let's move on to the Las Vegas Raiders, where Derek Carr aired it out. Absolutely aired it out. And we don't know Derek Carr to be that kind of guy, but he did. He had 347 yards, three touchdowns, and one pick. Aired it out to Henry Ruggs, who had a 72-yard touchdown. Nelson Aguilar had a 59-yard touchdown. And he just spread the ball out to everybody. I mean... Henry Ruggs, Nelson Aguilar, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, Jalen Rashard, Alec Ingle, Josh Jacobs, Jason Witten, Devontae Booker, Rico Gafford, and Zay Jones were all targeted. The only one who didn't come down with a catch was Rico Gafford, the one that nobody knows who the hell he is. But he spread the ball out. Henry Ruggs and Nelson Aguilar each only had two catches with two long bombs. So Carr was just spreading the love. And he's able to go into Kansas City, somewhere where he has not had success, where not a lot of people have success, and out-duel Pat Mahomes. The second half adjustments by Paul Gunther in that defense were excellent. Absolutely excellent. And Josh Jacobs was able to have two touchdowns in the second half, 23 carries for 77 yards, two tutties. You got to give the Raiders credit there. They're 3-2 and two now. Kansas City's 4-1 and one with a loss to the Raiders. It's excellent for the Raiders. No one thinks the Raiders are a better football team than the Chiefs, but guess what? They won. They won on Sunday. And the Chiefs were cruising in the first half. Pat Mahomes... On the day, at 340 yards passing, two touchdowns, one pick. Travis Kelsey, 12 targets, eight catches for 108. Every time you looked in the first half, especially in the first quarter, Pat Mahomes is just airing the ball out. Tyreek Hill or Nicole Hardman. Tyreek Hill had six targets, three catches for 78 yards. Or a couple penalties that called back. Really big plays, holding penalty. One by, I remember, Kalechi Semeli, who left this game with an injury as well. And then there was Clyde Edwards-Alaire, modest fantasy day. But he had 10 carries for 40 yards. Was used as a receiver at 8 targets. 3 for 40. Still modest. You need this guy to fall in the end zone. And honestly, as much as I love him in fantasy and I love him in just real life, doesn't seem like they really like using him within the 5-yard line. They did a ton in Week 1 against Houston. And he just kept getting stuffed in Houston's run defense. Atrocious. And now they just do end arounds to Tyree Kill, trick plays, shovel passes to Sherman, and all these weird things like that. And obviously they still have Travis Kelsey, who they'll use in that area too. But I did not expect the Raiders to win this game. Not a lot of people did. I'm sure a lot of people are out of their survivor pools now. But the Raiders did it. Old school mentality. We're going to run the ball. We're going to possess the ball. We're going to do that on the road, and we're going to keep the football out of the hands of Patrick Mahomes. And in doing so, and in hitting those big plays, because you got to take those shots, and when you have someone like Henry Ruggs, you can take those shots. Giants don't really have that. You're able to get big plays, explosive plays, and then outduel the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champs. 490 yards for the Raiders, 413 for the Chiefs. Time of possession. 35 to the Raiders, 24 to the Chiefs. Good on 
John Gruden and company. And we had the Dolphins and the 49ers. Again, another what the heck is going on kind of thing. The Dolphins traveled to the West Coast. And in the first quarter, they put 14 on the 49ers. Then they put 16 on the 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo is just throwing picks and just messing up. And then they replaced Jimmy Garoppolo in the second half with Iowa's own C.J. Beathard, who came in, threw a touchdown pass, had 94 yards, but the game was already gone by that point because Ryan Fitzpatrick threw for 350 yards, super efficient, 28 attempts, 22 completions, three touchdowns, no interceptions. If that's not Ryan Fitzpatrick after having a bad game against one of the worst defenses in the league, I don't know what it is. Yeah, you're going to travel to San Francisco, the defending NFC champions, and play a defense where they might not have Nick Bosa, but they still have guys like Fred Warner and Eric Armstead and a really talented group who's well-coached by Robert Sala. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm going to go out there and throw for over 350 yards and three touchdowns. That's Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's really making it hard for Tua to see the field. And I thought Fitzpatrick went out there, he crapped his pants like a lot of people thought he was going to do, kind of like what he did against the Seattle Seahawks. It would have been Tua next week when the schedule lightens up a little bit. But might not be now. Played really well. Miles Gaskin on the ground. 16 carries for 57 yards, one touchdown. Preston Williams at five targets, four for 106. Mike Gesicki finally coming back. Six targets, five for 91. Devontae Parker had only three targets, but he caught two of them, 50 yards, and a score as well. The next week, the game that I thought Tua was going to start, Miami's home against the Jets. And then they're home against the Rams. And they got to go to Arizona. So we'll see how much longer Fitzpatrick can do this. But he's exciting. <laughs> As for San Francisco, I already talked about Garoppolo. Raheem Mostert had 11 carries for 90 yards. Was on the field, it seemed like. I didn't see the statistics on this, but it seemed like he was on the field a lot, which is good for his knee because he was questionable going into this game. As for everybody else, modest days. George Kittle, after that blow-up game, was 4 for 44 on 8 targets. Brandon Ayuk, 3 for 44 on 6 targets. Kendrick Bourne, 2 for 30 on 4 targets. Wasn't much. According to Kyle Shanahan, he said he sat Jimmy Garoppolo because it was obvious that he was hurt. And he wasn't doing that much, and the game was starting to slip away, so they thought they should put C.J. Beathard in and see what's going to happen. But it wasn't a benching in terms of, you're bad, we're going to bench you. It was, you might be hurt, so we're going to bench you. Ah, D.K. Metcalf just caught a touchdown. But on to our last game. And we're going to go over here. And that's the Cleveland Browns hosting the Indianapolis Colts. And the Cleveland Browns beat the Colts 32-23. to Now, the Browns are 4-1, 3-0 at home. Colts dropped to 3-2. and And I felt this game was going to be in the Browns' favor when I heard Anthony Costanzo was out. Because that means the Raven Clark, I believe, is going to have to go up against Miles Garrett. Not good. Now, Phillip Rivers was only sacked one time, but it seemed like he was under pressure. And you know what? Philip Rivers is kind of washed. Does not look good at all. No arm strength, no velocity whatsoever. He was 243, two interceptions on 33 attempts, 21 completions. And then Jonathan Taylor had 12 carries for 57 yards and a tutty. As for receptions, T.Y. Hilton, 10 targets, 6 for 69. And outside that, it was spread out pretty nicely. Trey Burton was kind of gross, you know, 6 targets, 5 catches, 33 yards. But as for Cleveland, man, Jarvis Landry, who Every time I looked up, he was dropping a pass. But he had nine targets, as did Odell Beckham. Jarvis caught four of them for 88. Odell caught five of them for 58. And then Baker Mayfield was 247, two touchdowns, two interceptions, 37 attempts, 21 completions. And it was obviously the Kareem Hunt show, 20 carries, 72 on the ground. This game was a little... It was close initially, 
And then Cleveland in the second quarter scored 17 points. Then in the third quarter, Indianapolis scored 10 to make it a little bit respectable. But then Cleveland just ended up pulling it out towards the end of the game. And Indianapolis just couldn't get really much going on offense. There was a pick six for the Cleveland Browns. There was a kick return for a touchdown by Isaiah Rodgers for the Indianapolis Colts. There was a bunch of interceptions in the second half. It was just kind of nasty. And then Rodrigo Blankenship, who's one of the best kickers in football in terms of fantasy, goes in there and just nails multiple field goals. He has four field goals on the day. Who kid just seems like he makes everything right now, even though he missed some in the beginning of the year. But yes, Cleveland, 4-1. and one. That is the AFC North, which seems pretty, pretty stout. Well, Chris Carson just ran for a touchdown to propel the Seattle Seahawks to a 20-13 score right now on Sunday Night Football with about eight minutes left in the third. And as for that, I'm done here. Hope you guys enjoy. Please rate, subscribe, and review this podcast and have a lovely day. Enjoy Monday Night Football, possibly Tuesday Night Football goes down. And I hope you guys are well. Take care, everybody.